Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Orman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday morning, June the 19th. Really appreciate you stopping by this morning to check out the show. In just a few minutes, we have Jack Gidney coming back on the show. We're going to be talking Women's World Cup and uh, Big England-Japan match today. I know he's excited about that. Um, and then we'll we'll get into a bunch of other stuff about the Women's World Cup, things he's seen so far and things he's looking ahead uh, at through the rest of this tournament as we get close to winding up group play and and head towards the knockout rounds of the Women's World Cup. That's coming up in just a few moments. But first, the U.S. men's national team kicked off their Gold Cup last night against Guyana. And um, if if you weren't watching and you just said, hey, let me check the score this morning. I know the U.S. men's national team's not been doing very well. Let's see. Let's see what the score was. I did. I didn't watch last night. Yada yada. If you if you if you check that out this morning, you see a four nothing score in favor of the U.S. men's national team. You're like, okay, you know they had they had some bad games, but now everything's fixed. Everything's good. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact. Last night was just as alarming as the two losses that came before it because you have to take into account the quality of the opposition. Guyana is like 100 places below in the FIFA rankings than the U.S. They're nowhere near close. To put this in perspective, the U.S. women's national team against Thailand was the disparity between the U.S. men's national team in terms of talent and Guyana. And they could only muster four goals. And one of the goals, Giazzi Zardes is still trying to figure out how he scored because it was a complete accident. So, in fact, three goals were, sco- were scored with intention. That's all we can muster. We had dreadful play in the midfield. Um, it, Giazzi's already up top as a number nine. Seems like a really great guy. He's just not a great soccer player. And, you know, to read some of the comments about uh, about his play from, from Berhalter after the game, I mean, I just don't understand what you're watching. You keep giving this guy compliments as if we've either got to, you know, protect his psyche. Um, well, you're the one that keeps calling him in. Um, he's not a good soccer player. We're not going anywhere fast with Giazzi Sardis as our number nine. We're also not going to go anywhere fast with Josie Altador as our number nine. And what's even more disturbing is that Burhalter and the and the U.S. Soccer Federation called in Tyler Boyd. He he's a dual national, grew up in New Zealand, and played for New Zealand through like U twenty. Hasn't played for the senior national team of New Zealand. Hasn't been called in to to play for four years. Four years, nothing. 
We call him in. He makes a one-time switch with FIFA. We call him in. He gets an opportunity, and he's and and last night he scored two goals, and it was a cool story. His his parents had flown in from New Zealand, and they were in the stadium. They they were able to watch in person their son score two goals for the U.S. men's national team. That's a really cool moment. I take nothing away from Tyler Boyd in that regard, but the point I'm making is that we 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 bring in a guy who's not even getting games with the New Zealand men's national team, and he's like a revelation for this U.S. men's national team. We are going nowhere fast. It is not, not a good place to be right now for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Disappointing all the way around. Uh, you look at the scoreline, you go, well, it was a win. It was three points in group play, opening up their goal cup. And and they score four goals. How, how could you be so down on this team? But the, the truth is, it was a dreadful performance. Guyana's just that bad. And this men's national team is not very good. And... You know, when you when you look at the way that Berhalter says he wants this team to play, I don't know. I, I don't see it. I don't I don't see the players able to execute on that level. Uh, when you keep calling in Major League Soccer players and asking them to try to play a positional and possession based form of soccer, they're they're not up to that. Plain and simple, we're just not good enough. And, and, and it's, it's laughable that we have a player like Josh Sargent who's left out uh, of this Gold Cup, called into camp, and you're playing Giazzi Zardes. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It, there's no football sense in this at all. None. Zip, zero, nada. Um, ridiculous. Um, in, in my view, it is, it is, it is such... Uh, uh, unless Josh Sargent has an injury that we are unaware of, um, is such a, a disrespect to the U.S. men's national team fans to be calling in Josie Altador and Jazzy Zardes over Josh Sargent. Um, the kid is a young talent. He's playing in Germany. Quite frankly, our U.S. men's national team is not in any position to be challenging for any world cup anytime soon if anything the next big thing over the horizon is next summer with the olympics our men's national team should should basically be a preparation for the olympics right now so we should be bringing in players eligible to play for the olympics and put all of our focus and concentration on that maybe you sprinkle in one two three or four others but keep the team young and just Take our our lickings, but know that we are putting together a team for the future. Because the 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 bringing in talent that that was around when we didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup and wasn't getting us anywhere fast, and continuing to bring them in is re, is just that's not. It's not like they're going to lead us anywhere. It's not like they, they they can show the way to these younger players. They've not had careers that these younger players want to mimic. These younger players are trying to get out of the environments that these older players are in and get to Europe because they've seen it for themselves. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Another thing that we saw um, yesterday that that came out, um, and, and I tweeted a little bit about this as well, 
is Glassdoor.com. If you have not checked out Glassdoor.com, uh, it has it has some very unflattering reviews from current and former employees of U.S. Soccer. One of those reviews uh, said this that. There, there's no expectation for managers to be good managers. The business of soccer is all that matters, not the people who make it happen. Culture of fear and intimidation, particularly within the commercial side of the business, because of who it reports to, Chief Jay Burhalter. Yes, the same Jay Burhalter that is the brother of the U.S. Men's National to- Coach, Greg Burhalter. Yes, Men's national team coach Burhalter's brother. We are okay with nepotism here. Jay Burhalter is a non-leader who does not know how to inspire, is belittling, unapproachable, mean-spirited, and to make it worst, he is the self-appointed CEO, so if he doesn't like something, it's not happening, and your idea is dumb. It appears that current CEO Dan Flynn allows this to happen, or more likely everyone has been too afraid to speak up. Uh, these these reviews there's more of these that talk about the toxic culture within uh within the US Soccer Federation and we've been talking about this for a while that there is a toxic culture that is that has permeated US soccer it is it, there's no surprise that we have lawsuit after lawsuit involving the US Soccer Federation there's been bad leadership there's been bad leadership on the day-to-day basis. There's been bad leadership on a macro level from the board uh, for years, for decades, and and it has continued to permeate. This is this this toxic culture does not mean that that every person or every employee of the federation is a bad person. They are not the enemy. Let's be clear that the problem here is with leadership, the leadership with U.S. Soccer at a board level and the senior executive level has created a toxic culture. And, and that toxic culture um, is, is creating issues in terms of getting and keeping quality people um, with the exception of a few toxic leaders. There are very great people to work with at us soccer who make fantastic coworkers. To, to that point, it's not to say that every person at U.S. soccer is a bad person or, or a bad leader or a bad manager. What we're talking about is, and what you're seeing in these reviews, is that, that this time and time again comes down to leadership. Leadership at the highest levels of U.S. soccer. This is something we've been talking about for a while. Um, you know, in in looking at where these things are, um, you know, looking at, at at some of these different posts, for example, advice to management. Hopeful, all these recent reviews are somehow getting back to the right people. Only reason it is happening is because current and former employees know a CEO is about to be selected, and this is the only way to have a voice heard because they haven't had a voice inside the office for years. We all know if the next CEO comes from within, more specifically, the men's national team head coach's brother, the toxic culture will never change. You have an opportunity here to change the culture at Soccer House six to seven years ahead of 2026, where your CEO and staff will be put in the, in, in the world and the U.S. 
spotlight stronger than ever before. Do the right thing. This hire could change the perception of USSF leadership to the entire soccer community. Prepare yourselves for a mass exodus after the Women's World Cup. Holding 2026 over their heads isn't working anymore. Staff needs action now. What's the over-under on lawsuits in 2020? Make a serious change, not an under undeserved nepotistic promotion. Wow. You look at these reviews, and, and, and they, they keep going. There's all kinds of reviews, and we look at these reviews, and it's not a good picture for U.S. soccer. And, and that's on a board level, and that's on a senior executive level. And the ultimate responsibility of that lies at the feet of the board of directors of U.S. soccer and ultimately at the members who elect the president and vice president because they are the ones who begin to set the tone on the board the way that, that U.S. soccer is set up. And, um, and, and, and by doing so... Um, are are basically guiding this federation when we look at everything within u.s soccer there's a lot of issues a lot of governance issues a lot of things in the way that votes are done the way the boards are, are nominated and elected that should be changed the way the athlete council is constructed not good the toxic culture that has permeated the federation in its decision making at the highest levels not only affects the the employees at soccer house but it affects every mom and every dad every bit of programming that comes from the federation and and every rule that's implemented it affects us all it needs to change it needs to change quickly that is not a good look for our federation we should be leading the charge for equal treatment of our, of our men's and women's national teams, not fighting them in court. If anything, our women's national team deserve more uh, pay, better treatment than our men's national team. And uh, this idea that, that our federation is doing the best job it can do on behalf of every club in America is laughable needs to change and it needs to get better very very quickly our sponsor this half hour is dut kick brand you can learn more about dut kick brand at d-u-t-k-i-g brand.com when you go there get your your goalkeeping journal uh, notebook you can get your coaching notebook player notebook there's all kinds of tools and resources use offer code promo code dw show to get 10 percent off your order and at the same time, support this show. Again, that is DW Show, and you'll get 10% off your order. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday morning. We will be right back after this with Jack Gidney.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday morning. We are delighted to have joining us Jack Gidney. Jack, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well. It's an England game day, so always a good day. Always a good day. Speaking of England game day, you guys have Japan uh, coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern time today. Um, both um, are, are looking uh, ahead, but also at this match at the same time. What do you see uh, in terms of the way this match shapes up for you in, 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 in terms of your outlook on the match and and, uh, and and what they might do today looking forward as well uh, going into the knockout rounds? Um, well, it's interesting because I think, well, obviously we're through already, um, but the game itself, I mean, Japan are a very good team, obviously. Um, there are still some, from what I gather, a lot of the squad still is haunted a little bit by the own goal against Japan that knocked us out this time four years ago. Um, so I think a lot of them want to get rid of those demons and, and get the win. But I, I expect it to be a little cagey game. I, I expect Phil Neville to not want to show all his hands straight away. He'll, he'll want to get through the game without injuries and, and make sure that they win the group and perhaps be a little more cautious than maybe they would be if it was, uh, you know, if it was a quarterfinal game or a semifinal game. So. As long as we finish top of the group and we come away unscathed, I'll be a happy man. I'm, I, you know, I'd love the win. I'd love to finish the group with nine points, but to get out of it and have everybody healthy going into the knockouts, I think is is more important. What have you seen so far from this England team in terms of the way that they have played, the way they've performed? Have they met expectations? Have they met your expectations? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. <clears throat> From four years ago, and obviously having been back in England for the past four or five months and seeing the work that's being done by the FA, certainly at the youth level um, in the game at home, they just look more polished. They look cleaner. They look more professional. Um, I think their build-out is excellent. They look very comfortable on the ball, um, particularly down the right-hand side on Steph Houghton's side and, and Lucy Bronze's side. They look very, very good. They you know, they rotated three or four players squad the other day and didn't really seem to drop off at all. Um, they, they're playing a good, comfortable, professional, slick football. I, I think it can be cleaner in the final third. I think it could be much more clinical. Um, you know, I think the Argentina game for me was closer than it needed to be. And I think the Scotland game should have been over long before we started to to drop away in the second half. Um, but but it, it's nice football. I'm enjoying watching them play football. Um, you know, and there's a few teams in this Women's World Cup that I think are playing really attractive, progressive, entertaining football. Um, you know, I think, I think I counted yesterday or, yeah, yesterday, I think was the first time in the tournament somebody had, got called up for diving i mean i mean you know you just don't get it anymore um but it would take that long for someone to get caught up for diving so it's been a thoroughly enjoyable uh tournament and and the level of the women's game is is growing so rapidly and the interest is gathering so quickly i mean we're breaking tv figures all over the world for it so uh, as a coach in the women's game now for over 10 years it, it's 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 just an exciting time to be a part of it 
But before moving on to some other teams and other countries in this World Cup, I want to ask you, what have you seen in terms of development? You, you've noted uh, last time you were on the show, and, and again today you, you alluded to the investments and resources that have been uh, starting to you know, be put into the women's game in England. How have you seen in, over the last four years those resources change or improve this English uh, women's national team? Well, first, first of all, from a player's perspective, it allows them to be professional. And that is, is, is just a night and day change. It allows them from a woman who plays football to now being a footballer. And that is the biggest change because now you train every day. You're working with a fitness coach who's full-time with you every day. You're working with coach and staff who are with you every day. This is your life now. So when you can dedicate the time to it and then have dedicated coaches, high-level coaches that we can afford to pay for them to be working in the women's game now, it's just a complete night and day change because everything now is how it should be. It's far more professional. And when you're dedicating more time to something, like anything, like playing a musical instrument or anything, the more time you're doing it, the better you're going to get at it. And I think, you know, across the board, teams are looking far, the technical ability is higher, the tactical awareness is better, the build-out's better, they're comfortable with the ball, the technicians. It's, it's just been fantastic to watch. It really has. Not just the English team. Well, uh, speaking of other teams, I've been saying throughout this tournament, and it may be just because La Liga is my favorite league in the world, but having said that, I think the Spanish national team over the next 10 years is going to become a powerhouse. They're not there yet, but you can see um, sparks of what's to come as more resources are poured into the Spanish uh, women's programs and, and those clubs and those players and their young, the, which you're seeing at some of their uh, younger ages on the women's side. Um, what have you seen from the, from the Spanish, uh, women's national team and some other teams that you, you found, um, to be encouraging in terms of the growth of the women's game internationally? The, Sp the Spanish team are interesting because they, they play some really magnificent stuff. Like uh, at times they're, are they like their overloads in certain areas when they're slick and they're one touch. I mean, it's really great. I think. Hermosa is is a fantastic footballer. I mean, her, her skill and, and, and trickery in the tight areas, her technical ability, her awareness is is really remarkable. I've really enjoyed watching her play. Are there still aspects of the game they're missing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they seem to be at the moment a bit more technical than they are tactical, if that's fair to say. Um you know, they don't have huge movement in behind or movement from deep and, and beyond. So they kind of build up and through you and get to the top and then there's no movement beyond and then they have to come all the way back. And so they maybe don't penetrate all three lines as as often as perhaps the better teams do. But but you're right, they're incredibly young. They play some great stuff. Their build-out is magnificent. Their, their left centre-back in particular, the way she builds out and carries the ball forward is, is magnificent. Um, and they're another team that, rotates seem to have rotated quite regularly they're playing a lot of the squad and there doesn't seem to be a massive drop off in play in subs which i think from where the women's world cup was maybe eight years ago 
12 years ago, um, it's just a completely different ball game now. What what other teams? Um, I mean, we we obviously know the powerhouses, uh, uh, but what are some other teams that you see countries that are on the rise? Uh, I'd like to stay there for a second. It, that that you see, like a Spain that are that are building. Um, you know, Italy played yesterday. Uh, yeah, lost. Italy, Italy, Italy are the ones that I, I find to be really interesting because they they sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, there are a lot of European teams that you know are good and have been good for a while, and then obviously the rise of the Dutch in the last few years. The Dutch, I think, are a great team. They have an excellent front three, and women's football is is very heavily invested in over there. And you're starting to see the parallels that their FAs made, FAs made in both the men's and the women's game. You're start, now starting to see rewards on both sides. So the Dutch, I think, are a fantastic team. Their front three, front four players uh, are as good as anybody in the world. But the Italians, for me, uh, have been really impressive. I watched Canada the other, other day against New Zealand. I thought they were excellent. Um, they cause problems all over the pitch. They're very comfortable on the ball. They, I thought they bossed the possession without really looking flustered and never really getting out of second gear. So it's interesting. I think the landscape of the women's game will be much different in another 12 years uh, as it is now. Um, the, the, the leagues that are continuing to go professional, um, the domestic leagues and continuing to, to pump the money into it, um, they're the ones that reap the rewards. You know, I'd be interested to see, you know, maybe in, in eight to 12 years time, if there's further investment in the women's game in the African countries, because I think Nigeria do have some potential. Um, South Africa show moments where you think, guys, ah, they they're a little bit more investment, they can go full-time professional and, and get, get these women into better environments day to day, as opposed to just caring about them once every four years. Um, same with the Argentinians. I mean, what a great story for them to be in the World Cup and picking up points and and obviously with Thailand, although their results haven't been great, I mean, you've seen the emotion and, and what it means to these people that they're even getting the possibility to be living these things on this stage. I mean, it's great. It's wonderful emotional stories, but it doesn't mean we should stop there. You, you have to keep pushing the boundaries and keep investing and, and, and professionalize the game all over the world. They deserve it. Speaking of Thailand, uh, b- before uh, I forget, I, I just – their their um, story and their team, you know, I, ha, had they not gotten just absolutely drilled by the U.S. women's national team, I don't know if if the whole world is even looking at Thailand in the same way. But you know, to to endure a thirteen to zero loss to open your World Cup, um, and and still hold your heads high. Um, and then you, you come out of that match, you lose again, but then you finally score at the very end of your match. Um, you know, that looking at the, the standings going into to Thursday, uh, they play two matches. They have a negative 17 goal difference. So they, they you know, they lose 13-0 and 4-1. But when they scored that one goal to watch, um, and, and I'm forgetting her name, but the, their main benefactor, who is kind of the general manager of their team, employs um much of the of the of the players and and on the roster uh most of those players are are employees of her so that they can train and and have a job and and be able to support their families and to watch the emotion on their faces whenever they score that goal and um 
and, and just you know to make sure that they walk around and, and and applaud their fans after matches. I mean, that Thailand story is just incredible uh, to watch. Uh, see this thing play out, knowing they got no chance to come out of the group. They know that they they're still just enjoying that moment and and you know doing it with dignity and pride and knowing that hey this is the beginning for them uh, not the end and and to see that that woman's commitment to her country her national team is pretty inspiring yeah it's fantastic and and you know the world cup uh, only a tournament as as good as the world cup on stage the world cup these stories to light um and get these people the attention they deserve uh, and again like I said before the key for me is what happens afterwards you know I you know we can't just forget about this woman for four years when Thailand show up to the World Cup again you know they need the investment they need the help there are wonderful wonderful people in the game all over the world working for nothing and they're doing it purely for the love of the game and sacrificing themselves and their finances to, to progress the game and create opportunities for other people and they need help um and and hopefully getting the spotlight at something like the world cup drives people to want to get involved and continue to help grow the game because um you know it's thoroughly deserved so the host country um nine points in three matches uh the french women's national team many have picked to win this world cup to knock out the U.S. Uh, if they were to, to face off in in a future round. Um, what have you seen from the French women's national team so far? Um, it's interesting because their first game, I thought they were magnificent. I really did. They look, um, they look very poised and very controlled. I think tactically they're excellent on the left-hand side with Marjorie pushing on. Uh, they have a nice balance in the midfield. Um, they have a lot of threats up the front and then they also have threats from set pieces uh, with Renard and Mbakti but they've had a little bit of a stutter in the last round in the last two games and they've had a couple of calls go their way and they're, they're under the microscope a bit but the World Cup is strange because like any playoffs and any knockouts it's about momentum at the right time um, what I think is interesting is I think that their two last two games uh, have been much more challenging than perhaps some of the other nations are progressing. Uh, I think their group has been harder, so I think they're a little bit more battle-tested. Um, being at home and having the home crowd is always going to help. Their attendance, the attendances at those games seem to be much higher than perhaps at some of the other games. Um, so... You know, any game you play against them, they, they are going to get that backing, which I think is going to be a big lift because it's not – the attendances aren't as high as all the other ones. Um, they just look they just look formidable, and they're always doing enough. And, you know, historically, the teams that always do enough to get through the games, they go on and win. Um, so, you know, that, if it lines up, there is going to be a France – USA quarterfinal. I mean, that is going to be an absolutely fantastic game, and what a what a what a treat to have it that early and still have have rounds left. I I completely agree. Um, one of the teams that is winning, but I wouldn't say, at least in my view, they haven't ha- haven't been winning in a way that is just amazing or beautiful to me is Germany. 
but they keep mm-hmm. finding a way to to get three points in in all of their group matches. Um, what what have you seen well, from Germany? That's what uh, you know. Gary Lineker once tweeted that you know in in the World Cup you play for ninety minutes and at the end of it the Germans win. Um, they just always have. They always find a way to get it done. They play a little bit old fashioned and two wingers and the Germans. The Germans, I don't know what it is about them. It's in their DNA. They show up at World Cups. They've done it on the men's side for years, and this women's side continues to do it. What is interesting is they seem to be a team that are gathering momentum. They are getting a little bit better every game, and those typically are the teams you have to worry about because they peak at the right time, and they start to push away at the right time and just start to click as it goes along. Those are the teams you've got to watch out for. The teams that go out and, 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 and peak in their first two games, they tend to drop away. So the Germans are certainly flying under the radar at the moment, and I'm sure if you speak to anybody in Germany, they're they're more than happy with that. Well, I, I'm sure they are. Um, you mentioned Netherlands a few minutes ago, but I, I want to go back to the Netherlands for a second. Um, having watched uh, their matches, I have been super impressed um, with the way that they have played uh, in 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 their matches. Uh, there's a composure. Uh, is a good word I think I would use to describe the way they play, yeah. uh, and and you know, really to me have been one of the 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 teams that have played in a way where when you watch them, it, you can tell that there there is a system, there is a there is a, a a tactical plan that they they have been working on and executing, and you're seeing it play out. Um, you know, where, where you have some rehearsed movements, et cetera, that, that at least that I, I'm seeing that I, I find to be um, a really big positive for, for the women's game on this stage. Um, to spend a little bit more time there on the Netherlands, you know, you talked about their front three or four. Uh, what are you seeing there progression-wise from the last four years building into this World Cup uh, in terms of you know their development as a national team in a program. Well, again, their, their women's league is is very good. There's been a lot of investment in their in their domestic league, um, and now their top players are playing abroad. You know, Miedemar and Van der Donk they play at Arsenal, and you know, um, the winger on the left hand side, God, her name's gone out of my head now. She's at Barcelona. Um, it, it's just interesting because. You know, I think they've flown under the radar a little bit. And people forget they won the European Championships two years ago. But they're not being talked about. I mean, in if this was the men's game, we wouldn't go into the World Cup talking about the Euros winner as not a favourite. And Holland have somehow managed to do that. They're a young team, but they're very polished. As you say, their positional play and their movements are absolutely excellent. They have a goals from all over the place on the front four. And again, like I said before, they're gathering momentum. They huffed and puffed their way through the first game. Although it was a dominant performance, it took a late goal to get the win. But the last game, they were much better. And and the game against Canada is a really interesting one for me because I thought Canada have looked very, very good so far. I think I think they've looked really good. So th- that game on, I think it's Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Canada is on Thursday. That's one that uh, I'm really interested to see because obviously whoever doesn't, I think the result of that, I want to say they're the same on goal difference. Maybe I think the result of that game will depend on who gets the second seed in the group, which obviously at this stage is massive because then it affects the knockout rounds. Um, 
I think that could end up having a big say because I wouldn't want to play as an England fan. I wouldn't want to play either as those sides at the moment. So looking ahead, where do you see uh, putting putting on your your England hat here for just a minute? Uh, My England hat is on all the time. All the time, right? But I I mean, just, you know. It, not looking as an observer of other national teams for just a moment, and now you're just as a supporter of the English women's national team. Yeah. You have your, um, you know, your your rose-colored glasses uh, yeah. you know, fully on and, and locked hmm. in. Um, yeah. Where do you see potential um, hiccups for this this women's national team uh, going forward, are, are there certain teams that you think they don't match up well against, or do you think that it really doesn't matter if they play their A game, they've got a chance in, in in every match, or do you or do you see a potential team or two? Hey, if they face them, that's going to be a really really tough task for them. Uh, no, I think this England team could be anybody. Uh, I really do. Um, Obviously, look, I mean, in any tournament you go into, there are teams you would rather play over others, but I genuinely believe that on their day they can beat everybody in the tournament. Um, you know, I think they've shown that on their good day they are capable of that. You know, they won the She Believes Cup, so we come into it off the back of big wins against big nations. Um, the one thing that seems to concern me over the last two games I've watched is we seem to tire quickly. Um, you know, I mentioned I, I thought the Scotland game should have been put to bed long before it was. Um, the Argentina game, although they never really threatened us, we had to really huff and puff our way through it. And it was, only, it was actually only the moment that Argentina did try to push some players up the pitch that we caught them on the break. Um, we were fortunate enough to. Um, but we do seem to tire quickly. That concerns me. Um, and if, you know, it's like goals change games. If we don't put the game to bed earlier... You, you give teams a chance, you know, that last that last 10 minutes against Scotland, again, another nation who've come a long way in, in four years, um, that last 10 minutes against Scotland was tricky. So I do believe we can beat anyone. I would just like us, obviously, to do it <laughs> as, as quickly as possible. We've started the games, I, I thought, excellently. We've started very bright. We're bossing the territory. We're bossing the ball. It's good. But, you know, goal, goals goals win games. And um, we haven't haven't been as clinical as I, I would have liked us to have been. Speaking of the English women's national team, um, is it now a requirement to wear a uh, shirt and a vest on the sidelines? Is that now is that now where we're going mm -hmm. with uh, I, with, with the fashion, the English fashion? Is is this something that we need to look forward to on the men's and yeah. women's side from now on? I believe, I'm sure somebody will, will log on to some sort of social media and correct me, but I believe that um, the FA have a deal where they're supplied, I want to say, by Marks and Spencers. And so I believe it is a requirement to wear the three-piece suit. Um, either that or Phil Neville is jumping on the Gareth Southgate bandwagon and hoping he'll get as much, um, maybe go one better than, than Gareth is, or two better, I suppose you could say. Um, but I believe it is a, technically a uniform that is issued to him. At least that's what I'd like to think. It's, it's, a better, it's better than thinking he's just trying to be Gareth Southgate because I think he would get far too much abuse in the papers at home. He looks sharp, though, doesn't he? He looks sharp. The team looked good. 
you know, you know, it's like you look good, you feel good, you play good. So um, I, I got no complaints over the three piece. I, I, as long as we win, he can wear whatever he likes, as far as I'm concerned. I'll say this: he looks very English, right? Very English, and own it. But I mean, he looks very good then. <laughs> right, right. I'll go with you on that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I appreciate that. My, look, my my ancestors are are from England and Scotland and Ireland, so um, I can't I can't fault uh, any of the fashion that's coming coming that way. Um, you know. Well, well, if we if we get to the final, I'll be watching it in a vest. So uh, that's uh, well. We we expect to see some selfies in that in that regard. If you're if you're well, suited I, I, up, I don't think anyone wants. I don't think anyone wants to see a selfie of me. But I'll see what I can do. Okay, okay. So uh, looking ahead, I, I'm going to put you on the spot um, before we we get to a, a couple uh, more kind of general, bigger ideas or issues at mm-hmm. this at this point of the tournament. Looking at what you've seen so far, obviously to, um, uh, later today we have uh, England and Japan facing off, which is the, kind of the big marquee matchup today. Tomorrow we have uh, USA-Sweden facing off, Netherlands and Canada facing off. Um, all three of those matches um, have really good teams facing off. Looking ahead, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who wins this oh, World I- Cup? Oh, that is so hard to say. I think if the U.S. do meet France, I think the winner of that game has a big say on the rest of the tournament. Um, I, at this point in time, it's, I'm going to say England because, one, I'm biased, um, and two, it's far too close to call. So me going with England, at least I can claim it. that was my heart making the decision rather than getting it wrong with my head. But at this point in time, I genuinely think it's far too close to call. Far too close to call. I think there's about six teams that could win it, um, which, you know, makes for an absolutely fascinating tournament. Fascinating uh, tournament. I, I, I'll, I'll go with England. Okay, okay. I, I, I like where you're going there. I like where your your heart's at uh, and you're honest yeah. about <laughs> it um, and, and, and all of that. So I, I want to, but before we wrap up, I want to I wanna ask you in terms of, um, what we're seeing, you know, some bigger issues here in terms of the women's game. Uh, obviously, you have a, a history in the United States, coaching, working, developing players. You know the U.S. game very well. Um, on the men's and the women's side, you you, you know, in 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 been in, in a part of the country um, where where the game is better than most areas. Um, w- when when with what you know about uh, U.S. soccer and the men's national team, women's national team, you have the lawsuit for equal pay. Uh, what are your thoughts on that uh, in terms of a U.S. issue um, in, in the treatment of the women's national team compared to the men's national team? Uh, I, think it's, I think it goes beyond the U.S. soccer because, look, obviously the U.S. women – deserve equal pay. There's no doubt about that. Uh, if anything, they've probably got a case that they deserve higher pay. Um, I think the problem go beyond that. I think it comes down to, to prize money from FIFA and allocations and all that kind of stuff. And until we get a parity on the world level, um, well, then any difference anywhere else is a drop in the ocean. I mean, for, for the 
World Cup winners in the men's game to earn a certain amount, but the World Cup winners in the women's game to earn much less is it's not right. Um, and I think that's the problem that US the US have, because uh, I, I, again, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it comes down to the prize money being allocated by FIFA, and then the US and then US soccer passing the buck. But again, that's a problem because the US the US women's national team is one of the most dominant sports sports teams period in the world um, in history. So for them to be earning much less is it, 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 it just it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. It's not right. Um, and they, they should be fighting for it. I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that it's taking a lawsuit for it to get that awareness. And I'm surprised that they haven't reacted quicker than they have and that it's still ongoing. It's, it, it's just very, very uncomfortable. Well, I mean, anybody that follows us soccer is not really surprised. It's taken this long. Um, They'll probably lose a lawsuit and still try to delay. Um, when well, we... well I, I, I hope not. I hope not. But it, I agree with you. It wouldn't surprise me. So uh, another another topic. Um, Ada Hegerberg, who uh, Norwegian professional footballer uh, for the for the audience, yeah. Ballon d'Or winner, uh, boycotted this World Cup. What what are your thoughts on her boycott? And and not um, not showing up, not playing. Um, I I I I admire her for it. She's got her reasons. She's sticking to them. She sacrificed herself. I mean, I, I think you talk to any professional in in the game, whether they be a coach, a sports scientist, a physio, or, or a player, whatever it may be, the chance to go and be part of a World Cup is is quite literally everybody's goal. So for her to sacrifice that to, to make a stand for what she believes is right, fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. She has a right to do that. And I hope that someone particularly as high profile as her making a stand does make a change with her her, her particular FA and, and it does get the recognition it, it deserves. You mentioned the the FIFA prize money um, and in the allocation money that, that that goes out to the women's national teams uh, that that compete in a women's World Cup versus the men's national teams that that play in the men's World Cups. Um, what what do you what do you see going forward? Do you think there that that we see enough political pressure around the world? that this starts to balance out, or do you think this is still something four years from now that's going to be a major problem? No, I think it'll be, I, unfortunately, I think it'll still be a major problem in four years. I, and the reason for that is I think to say political pressure is interesting um, because when politics come into it, there's some sort of agenda, and I don't think there should be some sort of agenda. I think it should be done because it's the right thing to do. Um, it's the same tournament. It's the same game. It's 11 people on the field, it, it, on a team. It's 22 players on a field, three referees and VAR and two goals. It's the same game. Um, it just sets a bad precedent that has a knock-on effect where it's not ripples, it's waves. And um, until the people at the top of the game, like like anything, like any national federation or anything, any the decision makers are the ones that decide what happens next. And until the decision makers sit down and agree that it's the correct thing to do, 
that they should be treated as equal, well, then we are going to have this problem. So uh, looking at the U.S.-Thailand match, switching gears here, um, cold turkey, um, 13 goals in that yeah. game, a lot of criticism yeah. for the celebrations. Where do you land yeah. on all that? It, look, it's a personal preference. Um, I think they can score as many as they want. I think they can score totally as many goals as they want to score. Do I think it, it deserved at 9-0 Megan Rapinoe to be sliding across the pitch doing leg parts and the subs all on the sideline dancing away at 13-0? Me personally, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I wouldn't have had my teams do it. Um, it's just, it's, it comes down to who you are. I don't think it deserves that. I don't think they should have stopped scoring. Um, but that's my opinion on it. That's, it's, it comes down to where you are as a, as, as a person and what you believe is wrong and right and what, what perspective you look at it from. You know, from a coaching perspective, I'd have toned it down anyway because I wouldn't have wanted to give all my things away in the, in the first game when I wouldn't have needed to, you know, they were still running set piece plays. I mean, they, they, they ran what was clearly a rehearsed set piece. I think at about 10 nil. And I thought, well, all your opponents now know that that's one of your rehearsed set pieces and you've just used it at 10 nil. I mean, you know, things like that for me personally don't make sense. I'd have perhaps used my subs a little different to get people some legs. You know, they took a center back off and put another striker on at nine nil. And I thought, well, well, why? Um, just purely from a, a tactical coaching point of view, the decisions didn't make sense to me. Um, so there, there are a lot of things that I didn't like about it that made me very uncomfortable, that made uncomfortable viewing. I think that opened the game up to, to harsh criticism. Um, I've been disappointed to read things that say, well, it's only being criticized because they're women, because I don't think that's true at all. I think if, if the French men's national team played the Thailand national team and at 13-0, Paul Pogba was sliding along the floor doing leg farts, I'm telling you now, nobody would get more abuse from the media than Paul Pogba would for that. He so would, he would I get murdered. I mean, just he absolutely. Would get, he would just get, if, if Paul Pogba was pressing high at 12-0, winning the ball and scoring a goal for 13-0 and then had the entire bench on the sideline dancing, I can guarantee you the papers, the TV would be after him. I mean, that guy had one of his best seasons in the Premier League on the stats-wise, and he's still getting killed in the papers. So it's really got nothing to do with the gender on that. It's just got to do with how you view the game, what you think is important, how you believe, what you believe is respectful and not respectful, where you believe the boundaries are on what is necessary and what isn't necessary. Again, the coaching decisions on what you think is the best decisions for the team in the long run, as opposed to perhaps just that game. Can you bleed players? Can you use players? Can you tactically look at other things when you're eight and up? Just, it just depends entirely on the approach. There are so many variables to it. But for me personally, I, I, I was pretty uncomfortable. So um, when you look at the U.S. women's national team, they've benefited from Title IX, from the college system in America, while other countries were... A, basically asleep at the at the wheel 
not yeah. not putting resources into their programs, not really valuing uh, women's football or having teams uh, at the cl- at their clubs for uh, female players to play on, etc. Um, now you're seeing countries, and we've talked about this uh, uh, today on England. You're you're seeing resources in Spain, in France, in Italy. Um, the Netherlands, other countries around the world that are that are starting to put money into their programs. Um, what do you see looking looking ahead into the next you know five to ten years as more resources are are, are brought online? What do you see um, first the the rest of the world? How does that begin to affect the rest of the world? And secondly. What does what does the U.S. Uh, soccer Federation and the and the U.S. Women's National Team and that program have to do to stay at or near the top as these other countries are starting to invest? It's such an interesting question because I actually think we're now we're seeing the the rewards of what the other nations, particularly the top European nations, we're seeing the changes in their play and. A lot of it, I think, hinges on this World Cup. I think this World Cup is a massive watershed moment in the women's game, both for TV coverage, both for, for sponsorship, for styles of play, for coaching, for investment. I think it's a real, a real huge moment. The U.S. Inter- uh, soccer and the U.S. women's team, I think there are parallels with the men's game in that. A lot of the nations who have been successful in football within the past 10 years or so if you look 10 years prior to their success, it went wrong for them somewhere that caused them to have to sit down and have an evaluation of what they were doing. Um, you're looking at England now, where you're now starting to see the rewards on both the men's and the women's game of, of not qualifying for the Euros in 2004, I believe. Let's see if I got my math right there. Um, when we lost to Croatia and, and it caused a whole FA review um, and a whole new plan in an England DNA to be brought in. You look at the Germans and their World Cup and now you're seeing them reboot again. You see Holland not qualifying for a World Cup and then them have to sit down and review their plan and what they're doing. And now you're starting to see the rewards on both the men's and women's game there. So I think this Women's World Cup is big because if the US were to go out into a quarterfi- in the quarterfinal to France, it should cause, you would hope, a review. Because you look at the parallels of the two teams, uh, of Spain and, and, and the US. I think Spain have, have been entertaining. I think they've played great football without being dominant and winning games. But I think they've been fantastic and they're clearly on the rise. But they haven't, they've, they've huffed and puffed their way through. And then you look at the U.S. blowing teams away, haven't really been threatened, but they haven't really played the kind of football that you think, God, that's very good. Those look like two nations that are going in opposite directions, although the results don't read that way. So sometimes you kind of have to hit, hit the bottom to bounce again. And I think that if the... I. I think the U.S. going out in the quarterfinal is the best thing for them. I think it's the best thing for the nation, the best thing for the federation, because they should review what they're doing. And, and, and I say this as somebody who's, I've done all my coaching licenses in the U.S., and I've just been back in the U.K. indulging in the UEFA licenses. And the way the coaching education is done and the system and the structure and, and 
how you're educated in coaching is is so different, so different. I mean, I, I've, I've got a college job here in the U.S. at the moment, and I go and recruit, and I go and sit and watch the Development Academy games, and I'll be honest, everything looks the same. Everything's playing 4-3-3. I could tell you the decisions that every single player is going to make when they get the ball because U.S. soccer's coaching education is structured for us all to be the same, to all play the same way, to all do the same thing. Well, that's not realistic. So as they get older and become professionals, and you see it with the U20 men's national team in the World Cup, they lose the tactical flexibility. So now, I mean, we're getting kids coming to the college program 19, 20 years old. They've never played with two up front. They've never played three at the back. They've never played with four across the midfield because they're taught to do the same thing every day. There's no flexibility. There's no difference. It's too rigid. And that is a, in the coaching education is where the difference is made. And I've, I've said this, I've worked in the U.S. for, oh God, for 13 of my 15 years here, I've worked in coaching football in the U.S. And my genuine feeling is the U.S. does not have a player problem. It has willing players. It has good workers. It has great athletes. It has kids who want to learn. It has supportive parents. It has financial investment. It has everything except the education that those players require to really push them onto the next level. The level of player in this country far surpasses, or I'll rephrase that, the potential of player in this country far surpasses the level of coaching and particularly the level of coaching education that is offered to the community. And that is, I think, where the U.S. falls short. And so the next 10 to 15 years, is, 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 that's hard to say at this point because if the U.S. go, go on and bludgeon their way through the tournament and, and, and win and win another World Cup, then it's very easy for the U.S. Federation to step back and say, well, everything's okay. But at some point, it will go wrong. They will get surpassed. I personally believe it will be this World Cup. I've seen enough from the other nations to think they're, they're doing enough here that they're going to catch them out. They're going to catch them cold. I think that's, that would be the best for the U.S. in the long run. But whether it happens or not, I don't know yet. We'll have to have a chat about it at the end of this World Cup. And, and we will definitely uh, look to have that chat here at the end of the World Cup, especially especially if your heart prediction of England winning the World Cup comes true on French soil. Uh, I don't know that you could get anything sweeter for you as an Englishman uh, to watch uh, well, we, watch if, them race the cup. It, if we did it in Germany or on Argentinian soil, I think as an Englishman in football, we might enjoy that just a touch more. But listen, we've only got one one full international World Cup to our name. So if we can add another one, I'll be more than happy. Absolutely. Well, Jack, Thanks for, for coming on the show today and uh, spending oh, some time with us. And uh, we, will, we will look to catch up again very soon, um, and, and we'll see how this World Cup begins to shape up and, uh, and, and, and uh, look to see about maybe getting you to hop back on for a few minutes to talk about some of those results uh, as we get a little bit further into the knockout rounds and into the final of the World Cup. I'm off to put my vest on for today's game. <laughs> you do that. You do that. And good luck with, uh, with your game today. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. That was Jack Gidney. Always great to talk to him. Um, really appreciate his time. Um, 
the the sponsor for this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water by going to charitywater.org. Again, that is charitywater.org. They provide clean drinking water to people all over the world, and they are changing villages one person, one village at a time. They are changing the world, and you should check them out at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to uh, Jack Gidney for coming on the show. Really appreciate him stopping by, talking World Cup. Women's World Cup has been on fire. Uh, good luck to him and the English women's national team today as they take on Japan. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As, as always, you can watch weekdays live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on DanielWorkman.com. We will see everybody again tomorrow.